0: If you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to uh, be in there today. If if you've not been with us, we've been in a series going through Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. It's a real beautiful letter, powerful letter, some major Christian truths in there. And we've only gotten to the first um, half of the second chapter uh, over 15 weeks. And today's going to be a very very special message to give you a little... um, lead into today, if you haven't been with us, Paul, at the end of chapter 1, prayed that we would come to know God better and better, in particular, know the power, the incredible power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power is available to us. And then Paul starts chapter 2 saying, remember where you once were before you met Jesus, how you lived according to the ways of the world, how you're being led astray by this power, this demonic Satan figure that's leading people astray did you remember where you where you used to be enslaved to your own fleshly desires that's where you were but i reached down and picked you up made you alive in christ remember that that power is available not only to raise us from the dead but last week we looked at how he gives us a view that we have a reservation in heaven we are seated with christ in a sense already in heaven but we're living the life out here on earth. And so we saved the last verse, uh, verse 10 of chapter 2, just to focus on today. Because it's such a, such a huge verse. And I'm going to read that to you. Um, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's, that's a huge verse. And what it says is, if we go back to last week, God saves us by grace. It's none of, none of your own doing. You didn't make it happen. God, God saved you, rescued you, simply by you reaching up with a hand of faith, saying, I accept it. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And by faith, we are saved through his grace. Undeserved favor from God. But then he goes on to say, even your growth isn't of your own doing. Your spiritual development, it's God's doing through God's grace. He continues to work in you to help you to become the person he wants you to be. You are... His masterpiece. God is shaping you to be his masterpiece. Now, I want you to do something with me today. I want you to turn to a person next to you and say these words. You are God's masterpiece. Okay? Some of you think that's funny, right? But I want you now to say this. I am God's masterpiece. Now, do you believe that? Do you, believe, do you really believe that? Yes. Because we live in a culture where self-esteem is seemingly in short supply. We're trying to figure out how we're valued, why we're valued, but the fact is we're valued because God has made us his masterpiece. He really has. And we're going to look at that today in three different ways. I, I want to look at three affirmations that I think this passage gives us to really affirm us in our identity in the Lord. And the first one is this, I am a work of God. Because it starts off saying, I am his workmanship. A lot of people will say that you're just the product of your family, you're the product of your environment, uh, you're the product of your um, genes and hormones and all that. But the reality is, you, you are a, a product of God. God made you. We are his workmanship. And you look at the things that God has made. I mean, the obvious thing is the world. Uh, this, this is a phenomenal world. That God spoken to being all these things that we see, the planets and the stars in the sky, the earth. The earth is the most unique um, uh, being in the, in the whole solar system. The, it's, it's so unique. It's got, it's got water. It's got land. It's got creatures. God, God, according to the book of Genesis, filled the sky with the birds of the air, filled the oceans with the fish of the sea and the, and the mammals that swim. He created animals to walk upon this earth, and his crowning creation was man. And when you think about man, I mean, my wife and I went to see the movie Genesis, which was only on for a couple nights at the, the theater, and there were, it was a documentary on the book of Genesis. And when you really think about it, where did we come from? The very fact that we're in existence violates one of the laws of science, that life does not come from non-life. Yet science tells us that life emerged from non-life because that's their only explanation unless they say that there was a creator that made it. That's what the Bible says. God made this this world. He made it, and he made it beautiful. Our daughter-in-law, Corinne, is halfway through her pregnancy now, and they just went in for an ultrasound the other day, and it's just amazing when you look at a little child developing within a mother's womb. It's just incredible. This this little tiny thing already looks like a little little boy. By the way, we're having a boy. And it's this (laughs) cute little thing in there. God made that. God has made a work of his hands. And so he says we are his workmanship. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes to the church there and says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Now think about that. He works in us in two ways. First, to, to cause us to will. He, he, he actually works within us so that we will want to be different. God doesn't ask you to change as much as he asks you to Allow him to change you, to allow you to submit to what he's doing through his Holy Spirit in you to become the person he wants you to be. He changes your desires, changes your will. I was watching a football game yesterday, and they quoted a coach, the coach of the Minnesota Gophers. What a fierce team, the Gophers. They got torn apart by the Badgers. Anyway, the coach said something that was very memorable He tells his players that you have matured when what you have to do is what you want to do. He said you become a mature person when what you have to do is what you want to do. I know as we grow up, there's a lot of things we just don't like to do. We don't like to do chores, we don't like to eat our vegetables, I mean, we don't like to go to bed on time, we don't like to exercise, I mean, all these things, I don't want to, I don't want to, but something changes within you when you become a Christian where God actually changes your will to where you start to say, I want to do things that are good for me and good for other people. I want to do the right thing, the moral thing, the wholesome thing. I actually want to do that, not because I'm going to be punished if I don't. It's just God has given me the desire. I want to sacrifice. I want to be generous to other people. I want to put other people before myself. Where does that come from? It comes from God changing our will. Have you ever been asked this question, do you have to go to work Monday? Or something? That, sometimes people say, Pastor, do you, have to, do you have to preach Sunday? I always say, no, I don't have to. I want to. I get to. I don't like that idea of do we have to, because then have to, why? I'll get punished if I don't, or I don't get paid if I don't. What's the real motivation? He actually changes the motivation in ours. God works in you to will. And the reason that that works within us is because when someone does something generous for you, it causes you to want to give something back. I remember as a teenager, you know, all the reluctance to do chores and, and, and homework and all those things. And all of a sudden, your parents do something that's really out of the blue for you, just an act of grace. You know, they give you a gift. They give you a special privilege. They, they have you go outside and say, here's the car we bought you. You go, oh my goodness, what chores can I do? I'll do the dishes, I'll mow the lawn. I mean, you, when someone's gracious to you, you can't help but want to do good in return. And that's what happens to us. God is gracious to us. He's given to us. He's blessed us. We do good. In fact, it says we were created to do good good works. In Titus chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. The word good for good works actually means to be profitable or beneficial to others. Something that is a good work is something that actually helps someone, as Titus says, uh, says right there, to, in an in a urgent need. When you help someone in need, that's a good work. So you, you find people that are hungry, and you help them. That's a good work. I, I was just told here during the service that a mom shared with me that her son, this, this last week, put together, and he's only like 12 years old, 14 years old, put together 20 bags of food. And his name's Evan, so he called his project, um, Everyone is Valued and Noticed. And they went down and gave them out to homeless people. That, that's a good work because you met a need. When you visit someone who's lonely, could be in prison in a nursing home, neighbor who's lost somebody, that's a good work. When you pray for someone in need, and there's been a lot of posts on Facebook in the past week of people in urgent need, that's a good work. We're, we are created, the Bible says, for good works. Now, you may be wondering, well, Pastor, I thought you told us last week that we're not saved by good works, and I would say that's true. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works, and there's a difference. When you're saved by good works, it means that your good works earn your salvation. It qualifies you, in, it, it makes you approved and accepted by God because you're good, and I've listened to a gentleman, he's, he's a Jewish man on a conservative radio program, and he was, he was asked what people go to heaven And he did not say the people that believe in Jesus Christ. He said the people who do good. That's the the qualification. Good people who do good things go to heaven. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul says is not true. Because you cannot overcome the bad in your life through the good. It's not like a scale we're trying to weigh. If I'm good enough, it outweighs all the bad things I've done. You can never do enough good to cover the bad things you've done. We are not saved by being good. We're saved because Jesus was good. However, because we are saved, we do good. It's the fruit of salvation, not the cause of it. You don't become a child of God because you're good, but you act good because you're a child of God. Sometimes people will, will be around me who cuss. And see, I was called to be a pastor. I wasn't qualified to be a pastor. It was, it, God just called me to be a pastor, and because I'm a pastor, there are expectations of how to act so people don't expect a pastor to cuss, right? So if someone cusses around a pastor, they always say like, oh, excuse me, pastor. Excuse my French. I didn't know French people were so vulgar. But I'd have to tell you, I I, I didn't even check this on Ancestry.com, but I've got a lot of French ancestors in my family. It must be because of their language. So people do that because there's expectations that come with your position. So when someone is a child of God, of course, I have expectations. But, but that's not what qualifies them. The, when you look at a, a couple who wants to adopt a child, and they go, say, to a third world country, they go to the orphanage. Now, this is, this is the case most of the time. Maybe there's an exception, but most of the time they don't, look for where's the most well adjusted child in the group where's the where's the one who works the hardest the smartest the most gifted we want to adopt that child more often than not this couple says show us the child that needs the most love show us the child that has the most barriers to overcome that's the one we want to adopt you know why because we have a lot of love to give to that child god looks at you and me and says you don't qualify but man, do you need my love? And the reason I bring you into my family is because you're in need of me. You're in need of my love. You can never qualify. You'll never be good enough to be a child of God. But I bring you in, and because you're a child of God, because you are accepted, there'll be ways we act to show that God is our Father, right? So that's the difference. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. God does good work in me in order to do his good work through me. I was reading a story just this weekend of a a gal named Kate McClure. She was driving the I-95 interstate into Philadelphia back in October, and uh, late at night she ran out of gas. So the only thing she could do was to walk in town to try to find gas. And it was dark, she was scared, she, she began to walk along the road, and she encountered a homeless man. And the homeless man told her, go back in your car, lock the doors, I'll be back. A while later, he showed up with the gas can. He had spent the last $20 to his name to fill a tank with gas for her. And so in the weeks to follow, she began to go back, as she traveled that road, she would see him. She'd stop, she'd give him gloves, a jacket, um, a hat, different things. And then she she talked to her boyfriend and says, I really want to do something nice for him. And so they started a GoFundMe page. And they shared the story of this man. His name is Johnny Bobbitt Jr. And shared the story of this guy And donations started to come in. They were hoping to to hit a goal of $10,000. As of last check, it was over $300,000. Now, this man was so grateful. He's a former firefighter firefighter and paramedic. And he he just fell in really hard times. And he's now stepping back to think, what does my future look like? He wants to get an apartment and a car and other things and get his life back to to normal. But you see what happens when you do good? People want to thank you and they want to thank God and they want to be good to others. It has this pay it forward, contagious kind of effect. We were made for that. In fact, Paul says God planned for this all along before you were even born. He planned that, that you would do good works for him. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, in the actual Greek language, it's one long sentence, and the first verse and the last verse are like bookends to what Paul is trying to communicate in this one major thought. He said, you used to walk this way, and walk in Scripture refers to lifestyle. You used to walk in sin and transgression, but now you walk in good works. (laughs) You used to walk in sin, now you walk in service. That's the difference in your life because of what God is doing in you. Now, here's another thing God, or Paul says in this passage that's significant. I am a work of art, a work of art. We are his workmanship. Now, this Greek word, workmanship, I don't like to throw a lot of Greek language, but it is significant here. The, work, the, the word for workmanship is poema. Poemas is translated in different Bibles as workmanship, handiwork, work of art, or masterpiece. And if you just look at the word, you can already tell it looks like a, an English word, poem. It's where we get the word poem. Poem is a work of art. A poema is a work of art. It could be a sculpture, it could be a painting, it could be a building that was designed, any, any work of art. What is art? It's an expression of a human heart and mind that's, that's displayed in some tangible way. It, it comes out as an expression of the artist. So, what Paul's saying is, you are an artistic expression of God. You, there's only one other place this word is used in all of Scripture it's in Romans chapter 1. It's used in reference to the creation. Now, I don't know about you, but I think you're pretty similar to me. When, when I look at a sunrise in the morning, I go, oh, that's beautiful. What a work of art. I, I, I try to even take a picture of it, it doesn't do justice. I look at, a, at, a, at, a, at flowers, I look at a bird in flight or the mountains when they're covered with snow, I look at the blue sky, I look at the trees, and they're, I mean, I look at so many things of nature and you go, wow, our God is an incredible artist, right? Isn't he a phenomenal artist? And his latest project is you and me. See, art, art is so precious because of the artist." Because of, because of what it expresses from the heart and mind of the artist. That's why art isn't so much even the product, but, but the name gets attached to it. So if, if you have a work of art by a certain artist, it's valuable. That show on PBS, the Antiques Roadshow, somebody will pull out of their attic an old uh, painting or a piece of pottery or glassware, and um, the evaluators will look at it, and they'll say, you know what, this is, this is a piece of work by so-and-so. And they go, oh, I don't know who that is. Well, that, that person's very very well-known in that industry, and this is a very precious work of art. It's very valuable because of their name, because their hands made it. Well, God puts his signature, or I would say maybe his fingerprints, on every work of art. And you and I are his work of art. We are his workmanship. God is doing an incredible artistic design in our lives. Of course, sculptors, are artists, and poets are artists, and songwriters are artists. But do you know, you can be an artist in almost any field. Chefs are artists. There's a guy in our church that's a plumber who's an artist. Guys are talking to Mark Gibson between services because I remember one year, he pulled out his phone and says, I want to show you something. He showed me a manifold, which is a a bunch of pipes coming out of the ground and going to the different parts of the house You know, if you look in your basement, maybe they go all over the place like spaghetti. But the the picture Mark showed me showed symmetry and order. The way they all flowed and the way they were laid out. And and he was proud of it. Because to him, that was like a work of art. Plumbing can be artwork. Landscaping, mowing a lawn can be artwork. Because it's, it's from the heart of the person who gets a hold of that thing. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's the key, in Christ, he is a new creation. The word creation refers to something that never existed before, something unique, a a one-of-a-kind. If anyone is in Christ, they are a masterpiece, a a one-of-a-kind, a unique creation. God is doing something in you that's never existed before. That's the beauty of giving your life to Christ. God is making you into something you've never seen before. Your family's never seen before. The world's never seen before. Isn't that beautiful? God is doing incredible work. He's doing this work of art in our lives. There's a movie that's just come out that I'm really eager to see. Any of you seen the movie Wonder yet? Yeah, powerful movie. It really, this book Wonder was written by a lady who encountered a, a young boy who had a facial deformity Very rare genetic disease that causes facial deformities and her children were upset and she didn't know how to respond so she quickly left the the restaurant where they were at and then she felt ashamed of herself that she responded that way. So she wrote this book of how this boy must deal with things in his life. And so there's a little boy in the story, his name's Augie Pullman, and he's going to go to a public school for the very first time. And so his parents are there outside the school grounds with his sister, getting, getting a, him some pep talk so he can go into school and face the crowds and maybe face the looks and the stares and, and all the comments that may come. And so they encourage him. And then his sister, Vaya, comes over to him, and she says this. She says, if they stare, let them stare. You can't blend in when you were born to stand out. I'm not spoiling the movie because that's in the trailer. You can't can't blend in when you were made to stand out. In a culture where, where there's so much pressure to dress like everybody else and look like everybody else and act like everybody else and talk like everybody else, God says, Why do that when you can be a one of a kind? See, God sees in you something nobody else sees. You may have physical limitations, you may have emotional baggage. You may have wounds and scars from your past. You may have addictive behaviors that you're trying to work through, but God looks, looks beyond all that stuff in your life and sees the beauty hidden within. About 90 years ago, there was a sculptor named Gutzon Borglin. He saw this massive rock in the Black Hills of South Dakota. He saw something nobody else saw. He saw presidents. He saw four presidents. He saw George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt. And with with chisels and dynamite over the course of over 10 years, he created this. Who else saw that in that rock? His housekeeper came to the project when they were working on it And she said to one of the workers, how did Mr. Borglum know that Mr. Lincoln was in that rock? Hmm, good question. Because he's an artist, that's why. God sees within you something nobody else sees. God sees within you things that you don't even see. And he's working to bring that out, to bring that beauty out sometimes with chisels and sometimes with dynamite, but he's working to bring out the beauty that's hidden within. We have a a relative, her name's Grandma Joy, and she collects old garbage, really. Rusty nails, pieces of metal, dried up weeds, and then she takes them and she, she puts them on a picture with colored beeswax. It's an art form called... and and caustic art and she makes these masterpieces with things other people throw out and she has a whole gallery of her artwork it's just amazing what an artist can do with ordinary things I mean you look at the Bible God doesn't look for the perfect qualified people I mean Abraham was a liar Isaac was a daydreamer. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was fearful. Job was bankrupt. Elijah was suicidal. David was an adulterer. John the Baptist, a loner. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times and was living with the man she wasn't married to. Peter spoke too quickly. Thomas doubted. Paul hunted Christians. Timothy was too young. And God used them all. Why? Because they were his work of art. God sees in you something nobody else sees. There's beauty within. You are his masterpiece. But there's one other thing you need to know about this work. You are a work in progress. You are a work in progress. You are unfinished. Ever see that poster, please be patient, God isn't finished with me yet? We still have areas to grow in. We still are maturing all the time. You know, do you ever think that maybe God still has you on this earth because you're not mature enough yet? Yeah, some of you might be here until you're 150. <laughs> really. God is still working on us. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul makes this promise He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. God's goal is to get you to the place of maturity in Christ. But There's a lot of work to do in us. A couple weeks ago, our grandson Aiden was at our house, and we were eating chips out of the bag. When I turned around to do something on the other counter, and then when I turned back, for some strange reason, he had his sippy cup, you know what those are? Had his sippy cup in the bag, shaking it around. And so I grabbed his arm and says, what are you doing? And he froze. This look of terror came over his face. And then my wife came from the other room and says, what's going on out here? I said, well, he was shaking the, the sippy cup, in the, in the, and you got that upset? I said, well, I just kind of reacted a little bit. And so she hugs him and loves on him, and I got down and looked him in the face and said, you know, I'm sorry, Baba's sorry, didn't mean to scare you, but you really shouldn't be shaking your cup inside the bag, okay? So then the next week, we're in the kitchen, and he's drinking out of an open cup, spills apple juice on the kitchen floor. I said, that's okay. I'm just going to get a wet towel and wipe it all up." And he says, um, Baba, I made a mistake. I said, yes, you did. And he said, just like you made a mistake when you yelled at me for... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then he said this. But it's okay to make a mistake. You learned that from Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Right? That's, all, that's the modern-day Mr. Rogers. they got a song, It's Okay to Make a Mistake. He learned that. And he threw it back to me. I said, yep, I make mistakes, too. I make a lot of mistakes. You make mistakes, too. We're not finished yet. God is still working on us, making us to be the people he wants us to be. Isaiah chapter 64, there's this beautiful picture of, I think, the process God goes through in developing us. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Isaiah's describing the nation of Israel, but it's true of us as individuals. God is our potter, and we are the clay. Do you know, do you know what a potter does with clay? Takes that lump of clay, slams it down on the potter's wheel so it sticks, centers it on that wheel, puts some water on it to make it pliable, And and begins to knead out any lumps and inconsistencies within that clay, gets it nice and workable, and then starts to apply pressure. So, as the wheel spins, this shape starts to form. And the more the pressure is applied, the higher that goes. So, if you're making a, a, a vase or if you're making a bowl or a cup, something emerges. And then, when you finally get the shape you desire, stop the wheel. You cut off the bottom. You use a wire cut off. You put it in the fire. You know why you do that? So the shape solidifies. Because you don't want someone to bump that clay and ruin the shape. So you put in the fire where temperatures rise well over 1,000 degrees. And, and something chemically happens. The... the, the the molecules within the clay start to fuse together, create a seal within it. It becomes very hard. It becomes like ceramic. It becomes tough. And then when you bring it out and it cools, you're still not finished. You have to then glaze it and then put it back into the fire. And so the glaze then adheres to the, to the uh, pot. And then you have a finished piece which, which you can then fill with water uh, or, or whatever else you want to put inside of it. When we came to Colorado Springs, we wanted a piece of pottery, local pottery, so we went to a shop and and found this. And it's just a, a piece of pottery, but it's a beautiful piece of pottery that's gone through that whole process. Well, picture, God is wanting to make us a vessel that he then can fill with his love that can then be poured out to other people. We are his hands, we are his feet. But the process to become that is a process that sometimes can be very difficult Because for many of us, the moment we accept Christ is a difficult moment. It's a traumatic moment. It's a moment sometimes filled with tears because it's like getting slammed on the wheel. And we're jarred in our life. And God's trying to get us in a place where he then can work with us. And God begins to to massage us. He pours the water of his spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit comes to fill us and makes us more open for what God wants to do. And so as the Spirit fills us, we become more pliable. God begins to need us and work us. He begins to shape us. And if we get resistance and things don't work down, He then mashes us down and starts again. He begins to, to put pressure. Pressure. We don't like pressure. We don't like stress. We don't like the, the conflict against us. But that's where growth comes from. That's where maturity comes from. This thing starts to arise from the potter's wheel. You know, as clay, clay doesn't get to decide what it wants to be. The potter decides what he wants to make you. The problem with many of us is we want to tell God what we want to be and we want God to bless it. And God says, No, no, no. You only have one choice. And your choice is this Will you surrender to me or not? Will you be pliable in my hands or not? That's your only decision. And if not, we're in for a rough road. The quicker you get to the place of surrender and submission to God, the sooner He can shape you. And and as you go through the shaping, You start to see, God's making something of my life. But you know what's really frustrating? Sometimes uh, misunderstanding is then God takes us and puts us in the fire. We go, no, God, not that. Or we start to blame Satan. God, look what Satan's doing in my life. Satan's making it so hard. And God says, no, I'm just putting you in the fire. Because it's in the fire where you're going to be solidified in the things that are truly meaningful in your life. You know, I know we don't like to be put in the trial of fire or the fire of trials, But it is where the greatest lessons are learned. It is where you really discover I can trust God. I trust him in the fire. I can trust him at any time in my life. God provided for me in the the leanest times of my life. I know God will always provide for me. It's during those times where your faith gets solidified. It gets firm. You're not going to lose it now because you know it for sure. You passed through the fire. That's why when you go through the fire, you have to say, God, it hurts. I don't like where I am, but I trust that you're doing something good. God's doing good in your life. Glazes you, covers you, and puts you back in the fire for another round. But then he, then he holds you up as a, a beautiful vessel. He says, now you're ready to be used by me. Now I'm gonna fill you. I'm gonna use you to be a blessing to others. See, so many of us struggle in our spiritual maturity because we're resisting what God's wanting you to do. We're fighting against God. When the, when the real solution is simply this: God, you are the potter, I'm just the clay. Do with me as you will. Shape me, mold me, fill me. Do your will in my life. See, I hear people all the time say, Pastor, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to be in the center of God's will. You know how you be in the center of God's will? Position yourself in the center of God's wheel. Because that's where we need to be in the center of God's wheel, God's pottery wheel where he can shape us and mold us into the people he wants us to be. And maybe you're going through a season of your life where you've been fighting against God. You've been feeling the pressure and you don't like it. You've been feeling the heat and it's a little heavy. It's a little much in your life. But maybe today is a day to say, God, I'm gonna quit fighting. I'm gonna quit pushing against you. I'm gonna quit saying no and raise my arms and surrender and say yes to you today. Today I say that I'm the clay and you are the potter. Make me your masterpiece.